All right. Hello, hello. Welcome back to This Ain't a Seed podcast. I am your host, Drew Zimmerman, along with my co-host. Hi, everybody. It's Ryan Sharp. And I, we have a doozy of an episode for you. I, I, I went to say I because I'm hosting this one, but we got a doozy. I, I am. This is probably my favorite episode so far, um, just because this this stuff is just unbelievable to me and crazy. And so today we're talking about scandals in the music world. Um, I'm gonna be hitting most of the big ones. Some you probably don't even know. I am gonna make a disclaimer quick though that. In this episode, I'm going to try to not delve too deep into details if it involves sexual allegations or anything along that nature because there are some of these that involve minors and I'm not going to delve deep into detail on it. So I am going to throw out the disclaimer just in case any of this could cause somebody to feel uncomfortable. Um, I just feel like it's out of respect for everybody listening who keeps tuning in to listen to us, that I should say that, yes, I'm going to be talking about sex cases. Yes, there are some involving minors. No, I will not go into details about what happened or any of the court documents. But I will be bringing them up because they are some of the biggest scandals we've had in the industry, and I want to. I feel like they should be addressed and talked about if we're t- doing an episode on it. Um. As always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to us. If you are enjoying our podcast, please give us a good, solid pat on the back by giving us a four or five star review wherever you're finding our podcast. It would make us very happy and we appreciate it because it helps put us up on the charts so other people find us and see us and go, hey, maybe we should listen to these two guys bullshit for a while. Sounds like fun. So... Top five today, which Ryan has, because Ryan is our top five guy. What is your top five today, Ryan? The top five that we'll be discussing today are the top tours of all time. Okay. Do you want me to go first, or would you like to go first? I want you to go first. You want me to go first this week? All right. Uh, Okay. This is a tough one for me, Um, as most of you know from listening to our preview episode, which if you haven't, you should go back and listen to our demo preview episode. I work in the music industry. I work with a lot of big tours that come through my area. Um, I've also been out on tour. So this this is a tough one for me. So I was going to base it around production value. Um, but then I kind of changed and said, well, no, this podcast is what you know people are tuning in to listen to Ryan and I. So I should talk about what I like in a tour and what I feel are my personal favorites for a top five. I mean, if I was talking production value, I'd be bringing up, you know, Kanye's tour in 2016 with a floating stage. You know, T-Swift's 1989 tour was a big one. Travis Scott just did the Astro Lounge tour with he had the entire little amusement park in his set. Like, those are really cool tours, but these are what I want to see just so we're on the same page about what we're talking about here. So number five, I had the 2009 reunion tour for Blink-182. They had a couple different openers depending on their stop, but I went with the ones that were in PA where we live. So uh, their support for that tour was Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, and All American Rejects were the support on that. Yeah, now Panic was opening for Fall Out Boy, which is crazy because I feel like they're probably bigger than Fall Out Boy now, if not on the same, like, playing field. Um. Number four is Guns and it was a 1992 tour. It was Guns and Roses and Metallica together. I like that. It's good. 
Um, number three is actually one that got canned this year due to COVID. It's been rescheduled. I'm still going to go. But uh, as of last year, Slipknot, Slipknot has been doing a festival called Knot Fest every year out their way, out towards the Midwest. And they decided to turn it into a tour. And I went last year. It was like Volbeat and Gojira supporting. It was a good lineup. Um, but this year, I feel knocks it out of the park. Their main support are a date member and under oath. And I, I think this tour is awesome because there's a lot of Slipknot has a very big variety of age groups that listen to them. And I feel like some of the older crowd won't know who a date member or under oath is. And I think this is a good break for those bands into that other, like more mainstream music markets, I would say. Um, you know, Volbeat and Gojira, I feel like they're all in the same realm as Slipknot <clears throat> with their fan bases. So I feel like this is a big break for Data Remember and Under Oath for just older fan bases to see them. Um, number two. And Code Orange. Code Orange. Don't forget Code Orange. Um, number two is the 2002 tour. It was Green Day and Blink-182. Obviously, we don't even need to talk about why that's a big deal. Um, and number one, Warp Tour is always going to be in my heart as my favorite. Um Warp Tour has meant a lot to me. It's done a lot for my career personally, but I had to pick one specific Warp Tour out of 25 years of Warp Tours, and the one I picked was 2005. 2005's main headliners were My Chemical Romance, All American Rejects, Dropkick Murphys, uh, Billy Idol, Fallout Boy, and Bowling for Soup. Billy Idol. Billy Idol. So wow. I picked 2005 for my favorite warp tour and for my number one tour you just can't the not dads f- had someone to go see that day yeah the dads had someone to go see that. the he, moms had someone to go see he that had day. his own tent he had his own stage right next to the parent tent probably <laughs> just it's warp tour is the best possible tour for somebody to go to who likes this genre of music for the price there's nowhere you're gonna f- be able to see this many bands and that many acts for 35 40 I mean back then it was I think it was like 20 or 25 bucks to get in but nowadays it was wow. like 35 or 40 you're never going to find that never going to find this kind of lineup hell you can't even buy my chemical romance tickets right now for 45 bucks can't buy draw you can buy well, like 450 yeah you can buy dropkick murphy's tickets for 30 bucks you can't buy fallout boy or billy idol tickets for 30 or 35 bucks you know, so you're you're never gonna find that. So that that's my top five. I, I think that's a respectable top five. It was cool what Dropkick Murphys did with Bruce Springsteen this oh. past Friday. Oh yeah, that was if, cool. If you haven't seen it, obviously this will be a few weeks after. But Dropkick Murphys did a show in an empty stadium. Um, they played at Fenway in Boston, of course, uh, to an empty stadium, and they had Bruce Springsteen with them. It was amazing. So cool. You need to go watch that. I was flipping between, I'll be honest, not to get off top. I was flipping between that and then Slipknot did um, a stream of like the Not Fest lineup that was supposed to be out this year. And they did streams from like they had Underos one reunion show, they had a Data Remember show, and then they had Slipknot from a show on the road last year. Um, so I was flipping between those streams. That was fun. So, all right. What do you got for me? What are you thinking? So I went purely off lineup. When we looked at tours, I wanted some variety in the lineup, 
when I looked at this. And then I also looked at lineups that just work together really well. And one of these shows I actually got to attend on one of the tour dates. Number five, Monsters of Rock Tour. That was Van Halen headlining with their OU uh, H12 record with Sammy Hagar on vocals. Scorpions were support along with Metallica, Dokken, and Kingdom Come. Oh, dude, I didn't even think about Kingdom that. Kingdom Come is a really... I should have picked yeah. like, the big four tour when it was like Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, like that tour. I should have picked that one. Oh, damn it. Yeah. It's a good one. Good call. Kingdom Come's a really underrated band from the 80s. One of those hair bands that I think... Underrated band of the Really should have got bigger. Nope. Nope. <laughs> we'll get to it. All right. Number four was a tour that I had the pleasure of seeing. It's probably one of the best shows I've seen to date. Just because of the lineup, it was Give Me Summer You Love Tour. And this was an all-time low headlining tour. And the support was The Starting Line, Cartel, The Cab, and We Are The In Crowd. I remember that show very vividly. And at the time, I didn't really appreciate the starting line besides say it like you mean it. And I didn't get into those next two albums until like probably a year later, which I know you don't care for drew, but I think direction is their best album. <laughs> oh, well it's not that I don't care about those albums. It's just, you don't need, all you need is that first album to appreciate what starting line is and who they were and what they did. Like that's all you need. I mean, the sure. next two albums are fine. I have no quarrels against them, you know, it's not like a Limp Biscuit thing based on last episode where I'm going to say, oh, I don't want to listen to it. It's, I want to listen to them. But that first album made them. Right. And Cartel, they played the majority of the Karema record on that tour. That was cool. And like their 35 minutes slet. So they played like probably six or seven cuts from Karema, which at the time I was really into. And I still am. I think it's one of the most underrated bands, Cartel, and one of the most underrated albums Dude, to the I, state. I went to uh, one year. I went to Warp Tour uh, in Scranton. I stayed at a hotel up that way, and I ended up staying at the same hotel car, uh, Cartel was at. It was funny. Wow, yeah, it was funny. That's too him, cool. Ran into him at the pool. Never know. Number three was a tour I had tickets for the summer. Similar to what Drew said, it wasn't the Slipknot Road Fest tour. Mm, this was yeah, the, the Hella Mega Tour, yep. which is Green Day, Fall Out Boy. Weezer and the Interrupters. Yeah, that's a good one. Stacked lineup. I had that on my. It's gonna happen list. in 2021. I had that on my initial list. Took it off my top five. I can't wait to see it. I think it's a great curated lineup. There's three absolute legends, and then you have the Interrupters opening up, which, in my opinion, is probably the only new ska band that's killing it right now. Yeah, keep flying. They were one of my underrated bands the one week. They're doing good. They're fine. Yeah. They're good. But like the Interrupters, they're getting like 105.9 DX. Oh, yeah. They're getting more attention like, for sure. Yeah. Regular rotation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really hard to like be a ska band and like get that recognition in 2020. Right. But they're doing it. And that's so cool. They've been a band for a while, too. Number two, the Pop Punk's Not Dead Tour. That was Newfound Glory, Set Your Goals, The Wonder Years, Man Overboard, and This Time Next Year. All those bands are awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. 
I remember it came to Alter Bar, which is in Pittsburgh. It's not a venue anymore. Oh, I, I remember hearing about it, and I did not. I did not go, but I can see now that that is probably one of the best lineups if you're really in the pop punk that you're going to get. And then number one, I have a huge part of me that loves '90s alternative, Under the Sun tour. Smash Mouth Headlines, <laughs> Support Sugar Ray, Jim Blossoms, and Vertical Horizon. I wanted That's to beautiful. see that. I wanted to see that tour. I remember that tour. It's a good one. Then they did... They did one tour yeah, where it was that's Smash my number Mouth, one. Smash Mouth and Sugar Ray tour a lot together because then they did one year where it was the two of them and Everclear were on the was on the tour as well. That's really cool too. Yep. The other the only other one I think I was I had on my list that I didn't include was the Honda Civic tour in 2010. Paramore headlined and yeah. they were supported by Tegan and Sarah and Newfound Glory. My that's first a cool day, tour. First Tegan exposure. and Sarah is a really cool group. That was my first exposure to Newfound Glory was that that tour. Really? 2010, yep. Cool. So, all right. And now for underrated bands of the week, my underrated band isn't uh, as underrated in Europe as they are over here overseas. My underrated band of the week is a band called Ginger. It's J-I-N-J-E-R. Yeah. Um, They are starting to get a little traction over here, but for what they are, they're very underrated. That girl... That that female they're 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 a metalcore band. I I would consider a metalcore, right, Ryan? Metalcore. No. No. They're metal. Just straight metal. All right. Well, anyways, the yeah. There's they're scream. They, they their vocals are all screaming, but mostly screaming. But it's a girl vocalist, and she is killer, dude. And she's a babe. Oh man, you gotta go. You gotta listen to Ginger. I mean, they're huge in Europe. They're st- like I said, they're starting to gain a little traction over here, but they're very underrated still for what they are. They're fantastic. Much better than Butcher Babies. Oh God, yes, 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 all of it, yes. My underrated band of the week is Violent Soho, which is a alternative rock band that's been existing for a while. I've heard of this one. Yeah, so they're from Australia. Really talented band. Inspired by 90s grunge, inspired by the the rock invasion that we saw in the early 2000s with like the hives and like starting playing like music, like the bands that are similar to the vines. It's, it's that sound, combining grunge and, and that sound and even taking some influence from Hot Fuss, which is the killers, his first record. You combine all that into one, and that's that's what you get in this band. Really talented dudes. They just dropped a new record, and off that new record, the best song on it, in my opinion, is called Canada. But Violent Soho, they're an Australian rock band that is inspired by Nirvana and the Killers. I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that. No, it does not. That's good. All right. So as always, if you have a better top five or a better underrated band or a band you want us to check out, let us know in our comments. Um, as always, you know, we love to talk to people about what their opinions are. Um, Ryan is open to discussion. I will tell you my opinion's supreme, but I'm just an asshole. No, kidding. No, I definitely will about talk to supreme? you. About Supreme? About the brand Supreme? The brand Supreme. <laughs> No, you... Uh, I'll give you my opinion about that. Oh, God. Go ahead. 
No, I think we have an episode to do. Right. <laughs> okay, so of course I'll talk to you if you if you want to talk to me about something. I'll talk to you openly. I'm not that bad of a guy. I'll talk to you. Um. All right. So this week we're talking about scandals. So what what am I looking for in a scandal? I'm looking for fraud. I'm looking for some juicy news. I'm looking not to be CNN or Fox News. I'm looking to give you true facts about a story that happened. Um, I didn't get super into detail on any of these. So if there's any of these that you want us to like dive deeper into the story about, um, I will gladly do a whole episode. We'll gladly do a whole episode out of any of these for you. It. I'm just... For the sake of time, I'm giving you the basics of each story, and Ryan and I are going to talk about them a little bit. But like I said, you know, if you find one you like and you're like, "Ooh, this could be fun," you two should talk about that. And you want me to talk about somebody who's a piece of shit, and you know, Ryan will moderate and be a nice guy like he always is, and I'll be over here making asshole comments about that person. That's fine, you know. Just tell us which one you want us to pick apart. So uh, I'm going to start with unless you're Weird Al, which I don't think he has any allegations, but uh, Weird Al, I would not stand up for. I think he sucks. <laughs> He doesn't want to talk about Weird Al, and I don't want to talk about Fred Durst, and neither of us want to talk about Machine Gun Kelly. Deal with it. I apologize. It's just the way it is. Um, so I'm going to start with some more, you know, mainstream ones. So let's talk about, to start, let's talk, uh, let's let's ease into this, okay? Let's ease into this a little bit. So let's talk about Taylor Swift and Kanye West. This is one where you bring the two of them up, and people just think of... You know, the Grammys, the one year when Kanye interrupted Taylor. You know, that's all they think about. You know, that they're like, oh, that that must be what he's talking about. That's not what I'm talking about, actually. So, Kanye... I think I know what you're talking about. Kanye makes this deeper. So, Kanye has a song titled Famous. And in it, there's a line that yep. he makes the statement, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. Now... That is way, way, way overboard. So what's Taylor think about this? So Taylor came out with a statement basically saying that she was offended and deemed the song misogynistic. I'm not disagreeing. That song is very misogynistic in that statement. However, Kanye came out with a statement when that song first came out saying he was given permission by her to use that line. And this made this very controversial because she's over here saying, I'm offended and it's misogynistic. And he's like, well, you told me I could use it. Well, Kim Kardashian, obviously married to Kanye, sticks her nose into this. And she puts Kim out, West. Yeah. She, <laughs> Kim West, yo. Um, she sticks her nose into this to set the record straight. And she puts out a video series showing conversations between Taylor and Kanye where she gave him permission to make this song. Can you fucking believe this shit? <laughs> Who agrees to that? Uh, so that's my first one. Any, any comments, Ryan? Because I want comments from you on this. I episode. think it's important to listen to the artist and not always listen to all the buzz about them outside of the studio and outside of the stage. I think it's important, yes, to look at the individual and see them as a human, but you have to appreciate art. And there's a, a lot of artists out there that I disagree with, what they do off the stage or out of the studio, but I can appreciate the talent. 
Fair I enough. appreciate the talent from Taylor Swift. I appreciate the talent from Connie West because they both certainly have talent. I'm a pretty middle of the road guy in general. I look at the good, the bad, and that's pretty much how I live my life or I strive to live my life. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought up that you appreciate the artists for their talent. Cause here's one I don't think you will appreciate. So there's a group called Millie Vanilli. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Yeah. You know who Millie Vanilli is? Yeah. Did yeah. you know Millie Vanilli had a Grammy taken back from them after they won it? You ever heard this? Story? Yeah, I heard about it. I don't know much about it. So for those who don't know, Millie Vanilli won a Grammy in 1990 for Best New Artist for a song they came out with. However, it was later discovered that the group, the vocals on the album, a lot of them did not belong to Millie Vanilli. Most of the vocals on those albums (laughs) didn't belong to them. And that actually, in turn, they belonged to uncredited artists who they've never fully determined all of the people who were on it. But Millie Vanilli was just lip syncing and taking the credit for it. It causes the Grammy committee to pull their Grammy from them and ask for it back. It's one of the only it is one of the only cases I've found of this ever happening, where the Grammys say we're we're taking that award back from you because it was fraudulent. To make things worse, they put out their next album called "Girl, You Know It's True," and they only sold two thousand copies from that debut. From that two thousand, two thousand copies. That was it. I know local bands who sell more than 2,000 copies of an album. Yeah. What do you think about that one? Now talk to me about artists and talent. <laughs> they still have some type of talent. <laughs> Lip syncing. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So we'll do this one next. So Lisa Lopez. Do you know who Lisa Lopez is? No. All right. I don't. So Lisa Lopez has a group with Rosanda Thomas, Tiana Watkins, and Crystal Jones. It's a little group called TLC. Okay. And no scrubs. Lisa Lopez has quite the interesting history here. So she was dating a former Atlanta Falcons player named Andre Razan. Right. I think it's how you pronounce it. Rizan? Uh huh. Spelled bison, both on R. So. Ryson Razan, I don't know. I'm assuming it's Razan. It's probably pronounced fancy. If I'm wrong, I don't care. It's fine. Okay. So this is one people didn't hear too much about. Some people might. But Lisa Lopez and Andre get into an argument, a heated argument. I mean, heated. How does she handle this argument, Ryan? Well, she takes a pair of his shoes. She lights them on fire and put them in, puts them in the bathtub, and it causes the ends up burning the entire house of this guy to the ground. Burns this dude's entire house down. Get this. She gets five years of probation and therapy at a halfway house for arson. That's all she got for burning this guy's house to the ground. Which brings up my next topic. Do you think fame has something to do with how much these sentences are on these people? Not always. No? I had to think about it for a little bit. I'll I'll say not always. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll live with it. So here's one we'll talk about that actually two people get blamed. Two people got blamed for something that they never did. And I, I feel like it might have affected one of them a little bit more than the other one. But P. Diddy and J-Lo. Okay. Jennifer Lopez, obviously. They're out at a nightclub one night with some friends. 
Okay. And the nightclub they're in ends up, there's a shootout in it while they're there. And three people get injured in the nightclub, including a girl named Natania Rubin, who was, ended up getting shot in the face. J-Lo and Diddy are taken into custody for being involved because they couldn't prove who was shooting, but Diddy had a firearm on him during this. They were taken into custody for the shootout. However, they're both released after a guy named Jamal Barrow, who was with their group, confesses that he was the one who was shooting people. What? What? <laughs> what is going on? Have you ever heard that story? Have you ever heard? Yeah, that? it's messed up. Yeah, it's pretty. No. What? What? Do you think Diddy had anything to do with it? I don't think I have enough information. I don't have enough multiple perspectives to give an answer to that. I'm not saying no. <laughs> Fair enough. So here, here's here's a guy I'm going to talk about then because I, I wanted to use that as a segue to this story. Um, Suge Knight. Suge Knight owned a company called Death Row Records, very involved with Dr. Dre. Um, obviously, if you want to know more about Suge Knight, look him up. I'm just going to run off some of the... Uh, bullshit that he's shown up. He he loves starting a shitstorm, man. So 1995, uh, he pleads no contest and is sentenced to five years probation for assaulting two rappers in the summer of 92 at a Hollywood recording studio. There's the start of his trouble. 1996, he's sent to jail pending a hearing on the probation violation um, when him and Death Row Records entourage, including Tupac, attacked Orlando Anderson, a gang member. He's sentenced to nine years in prison for that in 97. But he was granted earlier, at least in 2001. So that's his main time in jail, right? Gets out in 01. 2003, Knight is sent to prison again for violating parole when he struck a parking lot attendant. 2006, Knight's engaged in another dispute with a former friend and ex-associate Snoop Dogg after Snoop insulted him in an interview on the Rolling Stone magazine. 2008, Knight is involved in an altercation involving a monetary dispute outside a nightclub in Hollywood. The he was unconscious for three minutes at the hospital, and he did not cooperate with LAPD. 2008, bankruptcy claim. Knight also filed a lawsuit against Kanye West and his associates. As part of this bankruptcy claim, the lawsuit concerns a 2005 shooting at West pre-video music awards party where Knight was wounded by a gunshot to the upper leg. 2009, he's taken to a healthcare facility in Scottsdale to be treated for face injuries he received during an altercation at a private party um, where he was reportedly punched. 2012, he's arrested in, uh, in Vegas after police found cannabis in his car and several warrants for pro prior traffic violations. 2014, he shot at a pre-music video awards par party hosted by Chris Brown who we'll get into then. He was shot six times, but he was able to walk away from the venue to an ambulance. <laughs> um, he refused to cooperate with law enforcement on the matter and give them any information. <laughs> 2014, Knight and comedian Cat Williams were both arrested and charged with a second-degree robbery in connection with an alleged theft of a camera from a paparazzi photographer the previous month. While in jail, doctors found a blood clot in Knight's lung. Both Knight and Williams pl pleaded not guilty to the robbery. 
The robbery trial was delayed until the resolution of an unrelated murder trial. Um, 2015, Knight crashed his car into two men, killing Terry Carter of heavyweight records and fled the scene in Compton. The second victim was a filmmaker who suffered a mangled foot and head injuries. Wow. <laughs> it's, he's just he's just a train wreck. Uh, well, we got one more. 2017, a grand jury indicts Knight on charges of threatening death or bodily injury for sending threatening messages to F. Gr- Gary Gray, the director of Straight Outta Compton. Knight pled not tr- guilty of the yeah. charges. The charges were dropped as part of Knight's plea agreement in the death of Terry Carter. I knew about that one. So I, I knew about a couple of those. Now, I bring all this mess with him and violence and shootings up to point something out to everybody. I have in multiple episodes say I brought up Courtney Love and how I say I feel she had something to do with Kurt Cobain's death because I'm one of those people who he doesn't buy. I don't buy into conspiracy theories that often, but there's some of them that I look at and go, yeah, maybe. And I I feel like there was something going on mentally and emotionally between Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain. When he killed himself. Now, I bring that up to go into this. Here's a new conspiracy theory of mine, and some people have already had this. Now, based on all the information I just gave you, I would like to point out Tupac is shot 14 times while driving with Suge. Suge drove him somewhere. They were driving somewhere, and then he got shot. Do we think Suge maybe drove Tupac to get shot is the question. Nobody's ever proven it. Both of these, this murder and another one is both unsolved. But I just bring that up to point out, look at all of his history with gun violence. I, I fully believe he had something to do with Tupac being shot. Because then, six months later, Biggie, notorious B.I.G., he's killed by an unknown individual who pulled up beside him in their SUV and shot him and drove away. I'm just saying with his history, I, I think Suge Knight may have had to do something to do with both of them, and they should look into him more into those. Because obviously from his history, he is one where if you weren't on his side, he made sure you weren't there at all. Right. He, he's from the streets. And unfortunately for him, I don't give a shit. The Straight out of Compton movie completely details how Suge was, and I... It, they're not wrong. That's It's not dramatized. That's how Suge Knight is. Whether he likes to admit it or not, he's a piece of shit. All right? He's done a lot for the music world as an exec, but he's a piece of shit. Okay, so going from that, we brought up somebody who everybody knows about. Good old Chris Brown. Yeah. Obviously, you know, 2009, Chris Brown assaults then-girlfriend Rihanna, and she, of course, ended up at the hospital bruised and bloody. He turns himself in, and this is where I point out how I feel like some celebrities get off. He gets six months of community service for an assault charge against him. Six months of picking up trash and planting trees and landscaping for beating the shit out of one of the biggest pop icons in the last, and for the, in one of the, you know, in the 20 years, last 20 years. You know, I, I don't know what you feel about that. I think they let him off soft. He got off soft. It, in that case, yes, he did. That's not enough, no. he He's one of those people I fully encourage. Somebody should get a bat and let a redneck go to town on him. And just 
be like, just see how this feels, just so you know how it feels. I'm not encouraging violence. Don't take it that way. I'm just saying there's some people I think are pieces of shit, and Chris Brown's a piece of shit. There's never a reason to get into a, an altercation like that with a girlfriend. You're both adults. Talk it out. Um, right. Words definitely are more important to use in how you express rather than action. Even though actions speak louder than words. I agree. So, uh, Michael Jackson, of course, we should talk about him. We'll just bring him up quick. So, for those of you who are younger listeners, Michael Jackson, of course, big pop icon. Jackson 5, his own solo stuff. Um, Not a lot of people have been talking about this anymore since his death. But in 1993, this is the first account of it I found. In 1993, he was accused of child molestation by a 13-year-old boy. Now, there has been many counts of Michael Jackson from 93 to 2005, roughly, of having relations with small, underage boys. This is where the justice system's crazy. His first one came in 93, and the investigation proves inconclusive. All the way up to 2005... All these different ones come in. Now, I'm a firm believer that not all of these cases were true. I feel that there was a few where the parents were trying to make a quick buck. So they're like, oh, my kid was near him one time, so I'm going to tell them to say this so I can make a quick buck. Now, not all of them. You know, it's unfortunately the sad part of our society. I mean, look at the Bill Cosby incident, you know. There was all these people who came out and said that, oh, Bill Cosby did this to me. and the, But out of all of them, only three cases ever stuck because a lot of them were just people trying to get money. And it's it's a, it's a shame. It really is. I mean, we, we had that problem in PA with Jerry Sandusky. We had all these people come out and say, oh, yeah, he touched me too. And most of them were false because it's the shitty part of society where people are just trying to make a quick buck off of something that they know is – easy to send somebody to court for. Do I feel there's a lot of cases that are true? Absolutely. If your case has validity, you should talk about it and take care of the people who did this to you and speak out for your own mental health. But if, if you are faking it, I think you're more of a piece of shit than somebody who might've did this because you're taking a horrible scenario and coming out and saying that this happened to you. And if it didn't, you're a piece of shit. That's awful. You're Chris Brown. Um, so up until 2005, of course, Michael Jackson goes. Michael Jackson goes to trial in 2005 for multiple counts at this point. And a lot of this were cases that they reopened after a documentary came out discussing his relationship on this. Like a documentary came out discussing his relationship with children, and. Because of the stuff in the documentary, they opened a lot of cases and looked at them and ended up taking them to trial. But he ends up being acquitted of all of them. None of them stick. I wow. I hate to say it. I like Michael Jackson as an artist, but I, I feel like a couple of those were legitimate and they should have stuck him with a couple of them. Interesting. Yeah. I know. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Love Michael Jackson as an artist. I think this goes back to the point where there's the art, the like for the art and then 
the dislike for the person as general. I love Michael Jackson's work, but I dislike everything else surrounding him. Because, I mean, you just look, there's videos of him holding kids over a balcony. Like, like come on, like, of course. Um, so let's see, since we're in the 90s, let's talk about the king of the 90s. This is the king of the 90s right here, R. Kelly. R. Kelly is the king of the 90s and 2000s, baby. <laughs> All right. I don't think you know all of them. So in 96, a woman files charges for personal injuries and emotional distress for relationships she had with the singer while she was a minor. She was dating him as a minor. Okay. Nothing comes of that. 2002, a video surfaces of the singer allegedly having sex with a 13-year-old girl. He's indicted on 21 counts of child pornography, but in 2008, a jury finds him not guilty as they cannot find enough evidence from the video to prove it is him in the tape. Definitely think it was, and I definitely think it had something to do with the woman from before. Uh, 2017, BuzzFeed reporter accuses the singer of holding women hostage and operating a cult-like community. Nothing came of the investigation. That one, I think, is a little far-fetched. I think based on some BuzzFeed articles that she was just fishing for a story and I holding women hostage and operating a cult, uh, my operating a cult, maybe but holding women hostage is a little crazy considering all we, for 10 minutes we had to listen to him being stuck in a closet. So if he, he can't even, <laughs> he holds himself hostage, not everybody else. Um, 2019 investigations of sexual misconduct surface after lifetime, the TV station, there's a documentary on him called Surviving R. Kelly. <laughs> and wow. This is, this, is the, this is where I would go back to the 2002 case and say it was definitely him. Listen to this. 2019, last year, he's accused of bribing a government official for a fake ID for music star Alea, who was 15 at the time, so he could marry her <laughs> <laughs> to make it better. So he's, tw- he's 27, right? So to make it better... They wouldn't give it to him. So they secretly got wed that same year. And then when everybody found out, they annulled that marriage. So he went out and did it anyway. <laughs> That's where I'd be going back to this 2002 and 96 cases and reopening them and going, okay, you know what? He probably did all this shit. Because if he's, if we're freaking, you know, that's 20 years later and now he's marrying a 15 year old girl. Yeah, I think to eat it. Yeah. And I, I think my number there's 27 is not right. He's older than that. I think I'm at, I think I'm at 47 there. Anyway, um, all right. So let's delve into some more scene stuff that you and I are a little more familiar with, of course. Um, all right. I would like to point out one I found. This is kind of scandalous. That as I was going through my research here, Johnny Cash had one uh, in 1965. He was banned from the Grand Old Opry. He was drunk while he was performing one night there, and he ended up breaking some floor lights, and they banned him for three years. <laughs> I found that in my That's digging. That's funny. That is funny. I love it. It's like I found that in my digging. Yeah, it was like he got banned, and then you keep reading. It's like, but three years later, the ban was lifted. In 1969, they let him come back and perform. It's like, well, that didn't last long. <laughs> and Lord, it's like Green wow. Day destroying the iHeartRadio music festival stage. That was funny. Yeah. All right. Let's delve into this. Um, let's see. Let's start. I hate this guy. Well, we're going to start with Tim Lambesis of As I Lay Dying. Let's start with him. Oh, man. You know which one I'm talking about. You know this one. Hey, he's touring at the band right now. I mean, they were supposed to do a show 
I saw locally at Pittsburgh, and like he's in the lineup. There me, he is. Let me make a statement clear. If you still support As I Lay Dying, support the guys in that band, but don't support Tim. Or if you still support Tim Lambesis, you're a piece of shit too, because this guy is unbelievable. All right. So in 2013, Lambesis is arrested for attempting to hire a hitman to murder his wife. He tried to hire a guy to kill his wife, and this is how dumb he was at the time, all right? This is how it happened. I've dug into this because I, I knew about this story, but I never knew what happened. So he was at the gym he went to, and he knew this guy who was a little shady, and they never give his name away. But he asked the guy if he knew anybody who would kill his wife. The guy's smart enough to let the police know, obviously. So they hire an, they set up an undercover detective on this case. So basically, the undercover detective posed as the guy that this guy found. He meets with Tim Lambesis, and basically, they discuss the hit. He agrees to pay this guy twenty grand to kill her, including a thousand dollars down in ex- to cover his expenses. During the exchange, Lambesis gives the undercover a thousand dollars, the a photo of his wife, the address of his house, and the code to get through the gate. And at that point, they videotape him. And to make it worse, all this is on tape. They taped all of this. Oh man! Okay. Ugh. He goes into court in 2013. Now remember, he did all this with an undercover cop. All right, so they have this one on one, and they have it on tape. He goes in, and the entire year of 2013, he pleads not guilty to the whole thing. He says, I'm not guilty. I didn't try to do that. It was out of context. All this. For the entire year, the whole year, he does this, right? But somehow or another, 2014 comes around. He flips, says, I'm guilty, gets six years in prison, okay? Right. While in prison, he files a lawsuit against two different Southern California detention centers for gross negligence after they denied him prescription drugs he was prescribed. All right. He was they were prescribed to him. Big surprise here for side effects of steroid withdrawal. Because, of course, you're on steroids if you're trying to hire somebody to kill your wife. Wow. This is what pisses me off. He is 2014. He gets six years. He should be locked up till this year, right? 2016. He got paroled after serving only two and a half years for trying to kill a woman. He tried to get a guy to kill his wife. Worst part. 27. This is interesting to me. Worst part about this whole thing. 2017. Some piece of shit marries him. Who in their right mind is going to marry a guy who just tried to kill his last wife? What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, so if you just Asley Dying is not a super popular band. I mean, for the genre they are, this guy got off. Like, th- there's there's been some things that just lined up here that worked in the public eye. And I guess I, if you believe that people get off for being famous, he was just famous enough. I I honestly I don't know. This is super interesting. Keep going, please. Why would somebody parole him? What the fuck is wrong? I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. Yeah. See, this is why I like this, because this is fun. There's all kinds of good shit in here, I found. Um, All right. So he's a train wreck. Let's talk about another train wreck. I can't fucking stand this guy. Wes Scantlin, right? Uh, No. I should have put him on here. Damn it. 
I didn't look up his. I should have. He's got a he's got a good laundry list and uh, stuff. I'll pull I'll pull it up on my Anyways, phone. Anyways, carry on. Uh well, Johnny Craig. So Oh yeah. Johnny Craig's yeah. got a mess. Wes Scantlin. Yeah, he's got a mess too. I'll pull that up from Puddle of Mud. Yeah, here we go. All right. I'll I'll go through those in a minute. Um so Johnny Craig, he has been the he's what I call a hitman frontman. Um, because he's been in Dance sure. Gavin. Gantz, he's been in Amorosa, he's been in Slaves, he's what I call the hitman frontman. I, I call, there's a couple guys I say are a hitman frontman. Him and Craig, Craig Owens too, Craig Owens has been in so many different bands, he's in Escape the Fate right now, he's in Bless the Fall before. Um, February 2000- Craig Owens is in Escape the Fate? I thought that's, isn't that who's fronting that band right now? I thought that's who took over for- Craig Mabbit. Mabbit, that's who I'm thinking of, you're right. I fucked, okay. I fucked up. Okay. I fucked up. I'm sorry. Um, cool, dude. No, I, I did. I, I, I called um, the Kaiser Chiefs um, the Kaiser Chefs in the last episode. So. <laughs> yeah, you did. That's fair. It's completely fine. All right. So, 2011, Johnny uh, Craig is accused of an internet scam. This is crazy. He's accused of an internet scam involving he, would, he was selling used MacBooks through his Twitter account. And after receiving payments, he would discontinue communications and never distribute the products. Wow. <laughs> it was what a like, scam. Seriously. And he had like, there was at least 16 cases of people who actually got scammed from him by this. So it was later discovered after Jeez. he was dropped off the Amorosa tour, they fired him. He was going through a detox for a heroin addiction. So to make wow. things, and I don't know why they did this, but Artery Recordings and Rise Records, who are like his, they're his agent and his record label, they assumed responsibility for the scam and they reimbursed everybody. Like, I don't know why the fuck, that, it was their problem. Wow. <laughs> that's the, that's February, October 2011, same year. He's a jailed for two counts of possession of narcotics, two counts of possession of drug paraphernalia, and one count of failure to appear on a felony charge. Um, he's released after a few weeks and ordered to sent to a, and he's ordered to be sent to a court appointed detox facility. Dance Gavin Dance tours without him. He was fronting Dance Gavin Dance at the time, and they toured without him. It's like you got a good track wow. record now. You were just in Amorosa, and they ended up touring without you. And then you go here, and they had to tour without you. Now. Three years later, April 2014, he's accused of using narcotics by an ex-girlfriend, records a video of a drug test. So to prove she was trying to prove she was wrong. So the, I've, I've seen bits of this. It's been the, it's it's deleted most places. It was deleted off of his social media. But so he goes, gets everything and goes to take a piss test for the drug test, like take a drug test to prove he wasn't right. And the video stops and has been deleted before it proved anything. 2015. Go figure, right? Yeah, right. 2015, Slaves has dropped from Warp Tour after allegations that Craig sexually assaulted a female crew member. And let, let me bring something up with Kevin Lyman, and we'll talk about Front Porch Step here in a little bit. If you actually did something and you got dropped from Warp Tour, chances are you actually did it. It. Kevin Lyman doesn't care about allegations. Right. He cares about hard facts. Um, one year sure. later. 26 Which people should be about facts. Right, right. of course. Um, 2016, Slaves announces hiatus, as well as Johnny announcing a hiatus, after confessing to continued struggle with addiction of drugs. 
And in late 2017, Slaves was dropped from Artery Recordings after multiple sources surfaced, accusing Craig of sexual misconduct, including rape. Ba- now, generally, wow. I would say this probably isn't accurate, but based on the fact in 2015 there he had an allegation and he got dropped from work tour after a crew member blamed him for it, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably actually true. Right. All right. Now, he's zero. This is great, man. You're really digging deep. I I love each individual. God. All right. Let's keep going. All right. Here we go. Uh, Let me pull these back up here so I can see you. All right. Now, this is a man some people think is a piece of shit. He used to be. I I fully believe he's cleaned his shit up um, after just seeing him and meeting him before and that I I don't think he's as bad as people think now. 2016, Ronnie Radke meets Marcel Colgit. (laughs) I think it's called Quit. I think it auto-corrected me here. I think it's called Quit. At Shadow Ridge High School with additional men to fist fight. During the fight... Chase Rader, who accompanied Radke, had shot Michael Allen Cook and wounded Cool Quit's brother. Radke and Cool Quit are both charged with battery. However, Cool Quit committed suicide before standing trial. Um, Ronnie Ronnie serves five years of probation. However, serves two and a half years for... However, he ends up serving two and a half years more after violating probation. Rader served no time. The guy who shot, admitted to shooting this, these two people, got no time, zero, none, because they said he acted That's in crazy. self-defense. Even though he confessed to shooting these guys, they said he did it in self-defense. Um, so Ronnie's in jail for two and a half years for violating probation. So he's fired from Escape the Fate and replaced with Craig Mavitt, who we just talked about. He gets out. He's fine for a few years. Still kind of a dick. 2012, Radke is accused of striking his then-girlfriend, Sally Watts. He is arrested after failing to make any scheduled court appearances for this um, accusation. He pleads no contest to disturbance of the peace and is released on a $30,000 bail. So now he, he is being Chris Brown beating up a woman, and he gets released on disturbance of the peace. Um. 2012, he is same year. He's charged with simple and aggravated assault after throwing three mic stands into a crowd as he was playing at Six Flags Great Adventure. He ends up injuring a 16-year-old girl and a 24-year-old man. This whole I couldn't find out like what happened with the charges or what he got, if anything. But this causes Six Flags to ban hard rock and heavy metal in their parks. Because of Ronnie throwing mic stands into the crowd. Six mic stands. Three, so you have three, one as a singer. Three. Oh, three. He threw three mic stands into so, the crowd. This is probably the only three mic stands on the stage. Probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dumb. Stupid. Now you can't have Harm's Way play. God, nobody. Yeah. At Harm's, the Way park. Harm's Way can't go to Six Flags and do the running man now. <laughs> Not cool. Not cool. Now, this is where I think after all this mess, you start to see a change in Ronnie, mostly because he has his daughter at this time. Um, And this is where I think he really changed. My dog can't decide if he wants to hang out in the studio with me or if he wants to go downstairs. 
Sorry about that. Uh, so this is where I think he changes a lot because of this is just like having a kid. So this is and this is what I was talking about before, where if you come up with an excuse like one of these, you're a piece of shit if it actually didn't happen. If it's true, I feel sympathy for you and I want to see you get, you know, justice and I want to see you get help and feel better and move on with your life. In 2015, Ronnie is accused of sexually assault. Of, he's accused of sexually assaulting a 25-year-old woman named Casey Boswell. She claims that she was assaulted on their bus after a performance in Salt Lake City. However, and this is where it gets, this is where she's a piece of shit. Eyewitnesses report that she was in a visible state of intoxication, and while she did have contact with Ronnie and them. Everybody in his band was around. The bus driver was around. The tour manager was around. There was no assault. The bus driver was there. He admitted to it. Everybody says she came. She hung out with us after a show, but nothing ever happened. Now, the reports say that him and this girl had some sort of relationship before. um, But I guess, like, it wasn't a thing anymore. But so she claimed all of this. Out of just spite. Complete spite, I feel. So, Ronnie is absolutely trashed by this. And he had to file... He filed a lawsuit for defamation, which nobody even talks about. Like, he filed for defamation of character on this girl. But nobody talks about that. They just talk about, oh, Ronnie, he was... You know, he sexually assaulted a girl. It's like, no, he didn't fucking read this shit, man. It's like, he's violent based on the shit before, but he's... doesn't he's not a sexual predator like you know freaking Johnny Craig right you know like come on man so give Ronnie some slack he's fine okay 2017 singer Jesse Lacey of Brand New is accused of sexual misconduct uh. by multiple women, including a 15-year-old girl stated the singer solicited new photos from her demanding specific poses and manipulating her, causing much psychological problems for her. And since multiple other women have came out with a statement. Now, this is another one where I think there's a couple that are true, but I don't think all of them are true. Um, okay. The statements from two of them are confirmed by an individual who formerly worked for the band, stating that the women had confided in him separately over multiple years. So somebody who worked with the band, and they've never released the name, said that two of these women have come to him different times through over the years and said that they can't tell if like they're being manipulated by him or not. This is where well, nothing's come of this yet. Because nobody has filed charges. Nobody's filed charges against him for this shit. Like, all these people come out with allegations, and they never file charges. Jesse releases a statement. He doesn't confirm or deny the allegations, but he apologizes for how he has hurt, mistreated, and lied to people over the years. So, to me, that's an admission of guilt, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. All right. Right. Now, there is... Based off that response, yeah. Yes. Now, there is documentation that one of these girls and Jesse actually had a relationship for a couple of years, and they were dating while she was underage, which is still crazy, but it's like, yeah, I, I don't care if people say there's never been confirmed or denied. 
he he with that statement he did it. He absolutely did it. I 100 percent agree. Going off of another person who has put out statements that I would argue are a mission of guilt. In 2015, Jake McElfresh of Front Porch Step is accused by multiple uh. younger women for sexual harassment through mobile phone, including sending nude photos to underage girls. No charges, again, were ever filed against him. However, he has never denied the accusation, stating that he participated he says that he per- never participated with anyone who wasn't willingly participating with him, which still doesn't cut it and definitely is an admission of guilt. Sure. Um, his argument is he never had the greatest encounters with women when he was younger, but after his break in music, he was surprised by all the female attention he received and wasn't sure how to handle it. Well, sexting, <laughs> sexting with a 15-year-old girl ain't the way of handling it, buddy. I'm sorry. Um, he's dropped from work tour, no, including one date, which Kevin Lyman takes way too much shit for. Um, and of course, he's dropped from Pure Noise. So he's dropped the Christian from, artist now. Yeah, whatever. Um, he's dropped from work tour. He is he's going through therapy. He's doing all this and that. He's dealing with you know the aftermath of it. And basically, what happened was a therapist came to Kevin Lyman. And felt like part of Jake's recovery process should be going out and playing a show in front of a crowd to see how he handled it. And Kevin Lyman. Now, I I don't agree with the move. I don't. I think Kevin should have said no. I dropped him. I don't want him around here. I've got too many underagers. Like, you know, tell him to go do sure. it on a solo show at his hometown or something. Um, Kevin Lyman lets him play one date in the acoustic stage. He was unpaid, and his therapist was there as part of it with security people watching him. Um, Kevin's statement was none of these charges or allegations were ever anything from Warp Tour. Um, they never, none of them could be proven to have happened at Warp Tour. So he felt that he wasn't a threat to anyone who would be there. But Kevin got yeah. a ton of pushback from bands and people that day, and there was people protesting at that tent, and there were bands protesting on stage, and it was the little mini movement at Orp Tour. So then we get into, I think, the biggest piece of shit in our list. Davey Vanity of Blood on the Dance Floor. Uh, <laughs> I know you don't want to talk about I forgot about him. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I love this. 2009, at least as of 2009, I'm just going to jump ahead on him. He's basically, you don't know who David Vanity is or Blood on the Dance Floor. They were a, they were a very hot topic emo band, um, very seen looking band back in the day of MySpace. They found their popularity with MySpace, had, had, I should say, had a relationship with Jeffree Star, who everybody knows. Um, Jeffree Star has a, since renounced his friendship with them. Um, Jeffree Star has also came out lately and said that he would help if anybody investigating Davey um, because he wants to see justice. Um, so I'm going to jump ahead here. So basically, Davey's a piece of shit. He, he, his lyrics are about doing things to women. He's very misogynistic. He's an asshole. He has had a lot of trouble with underagers, a lot. Um, and as of 2019 or 2009, he's had at least 21 women have made sexual assault and rape allegations against him. Former bandmates 
um, who have left the band as of 2009 and 2016, have described Vanity as a sexual predator. Um, lead vocalist Ash Costello of New Year's Day and Jeffree Star have made statements that they have observed Vanity engage in questionable or illegal sexual behavior during tours um, all around the mid-2010s. Um, many of his accusers were underagers, like I said. In response to the allegations, um, there's been people who have dropped from his label. He's no longer allowed to sell merch on Big Cartel. Spotify and Google have removed him as of last year. Um, and this has led to the point where the most recent happening with him is Chris Hansen of To Catch a Predator. He has a YouTube channel now. He is actually investigating Davey right now and is going to wow. probably run him over because this guy's a piece of shit. If you've got celebrities and people who have toured with you saying, yeah, he's definitely been doing some questionable and illegal stuff with women, especially underage, then I have no doubt that all 21 of them are probably true, and he's a piece of shit, and he needs his ass handed to him. So Wow. Yep. So, um, so I'm going to delve into this subject a little bit. I know people like to talk to me about it. Um, this could be something that Ryan would love to get more of my opinion on and hear me talk about that we might turn into another episode. But of course the biggest scandal in the last 20 years, of course, is fire festival. Yeah. Um, I'll just delve into it quick. Basically what happened is there's plenty of, um, movies out there. There's plenty of documentaries. There's one on Hulu. That's great. There's one on Netflix. It's really good. Um, basically Billy McFarlane is, He's a businessman at the time. He had started a company called Magnesis. It was an invite-only credit card company. It was doing really well. They were having like private parties for their members, and you had to pay an annual fee to have the card and all this, and it's doing really well for him. And he comes up with this idea. After trying to book an event for Magnesis, he had trouble talent buying. Um, and when, when you're booking music, if you don't know, like – who agencies are and where the networks are and who, who you should email, you end up getting in these traps where you find middlemen who know everybody and they're like, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this or that and I can get you this person or that person, but they charge you double what an agent would because of the fact that they're not the actual agent. They're calling the other agent to book this shit and it's a mess. So him and he gets together with, rapper jaw rule and they came up with this idea to start a company called fire media which was going to be a mobile app to allow you to book musical talent for parties for events so you didn't have to go through all this mess to find somebody because the other problem is if you're not if you don't work in music and you find an agent and you email him about hey you know i want to book blue Two for a party first of all they're going to charge you way too much money second of all that's if they even answer your email because you're not anybody who works in the industry. So they're not going to trust you to be able to handle an event. So they come up with this and they're building this app and they're building it. They get a team together. They're building it. They're using, they're using some money from Magnesis. They're using this and that because he can at the time, because he privately owns that company. Um, and they create, they come up with this marketing scheme to launch the app and they called it fire festival. They were going to launch this app during the festival and the festival was going to be their way to promote it. Um, so 2017, they decide they're going to do this festival. Um, they come up with this idea that they want to do it in the Bahamas. 
Um, they had found somebody who owned uh, an island in the Bahamas. It was near Great Exuma. Um, they kept telling people, and they still keep telling people it was it was Norman Norman's K, um, which they kept telling people was Pablo Escobar's island. Like he owned it, um, which they had no basis on that. Pablo Escobar's been there and spent some time there, but he never owned that island at all. Um, so they go down there, they're scoping it out. Um, they hired a bunch of Instagram models to do modeling and stuff for them and make it look good. And they got these boats and they're out in the water and it's crystal clear water and all this to make it look like, oh, you know, you're going on a luxury vacation to hang out with all these supermodels. They had, they paid Kylie, you know, they paid Kendall Jenner to post about it and all these other celebrities and that. Um, and basically it, it turns into a mess because they're, they put out a marketing campaign for it saying it was Pablo's Island. They were told by the people who own the island they couldn't say that, so they're thrown off that island. They find a new island in Great Exuma, and they have, they're two months out from this festival. Now, the problem with doing a festival on an island is there's very low infrastructure, so you got to worry about power. You have to worry about you know, drinking water and sewage, trash, You know where are people going to stay, all this. So on the website, they were selling, you know, they're selling these luxurious tents and cabanas and, oh, you're going to stay in this via that we're going to have and it's going to be great. And a lot of people said the whole thing was just a fraud. I don't think initially from all the stuff I've looked at and knowing some of the people involved that it was a fraud. Like, I think they were really trying to do this, but I think Billy and the entire team other than maybe a few people didn't understand like the level of how much shit you need and how much money you need to do this. So it just turned into Billy getting money from all these investors and that. And it turned, it just, it turned into a mess. People actually bought tickets for this and they, they didn't have the money to build all these tents. So they ended up using emergency tents that FEMA had left over from a hurricane down there a few years ago, which are definitely not luxurious. They didn't have these nice beds or anything or floors in there. So the night before it was supposed to start, they didn't even have the site done. And they just left the, all these tents were open and it heavy downpour to rain that night. So the next morning when they're supposed to have the thing, everything's a mess. It's soaked. It's destroyed. Um, they promised everybody private planes and they ended up just getting a one big 740 or 727. And it was just jam full of people. They've actually had people fly in. People don't know much of this unless you watch the documentaries but people actually showed up the day of um they showed up they sent them off to this bar on the island for six hours because they weren't ready yet and after six hours they finally these people paid the bus driver to take them to the site because they were like we're sick of being here the sites weren't done none of the tents were numbered they weren't they didn't even have beds in there yet the bed the mat they just literally got a a truck full of mattresses that just showed up. So people were just like, he, Billy came out and just told him, you know, grab a mattress and take a tent. Like it's just some freaking hangout in the woods. So it was a mess. People were ramsacking tents. People were, you know, destroying shit. They got there, you know, the next day they get up and they're supposed, they were promised these gourmet meals as part of their ticket packages. And they get uh, two slices of bread with cheese between it for lunch because, they didn't realize how much it was going to cost them to give people all the, all feed all these people on this island 
when you're on an island and you have to ship everything in, let alone I don't even know what they did to get the production in. Um, it, it just it turned into a cluster because Billy would not put it to bed and like say, no, we're not doing it. And everybody kept telling him not to, and he did it anyway. Um, and I mean, for those who care, the lineup was like Blink-182, Little Yachty, Major Laser, and tons of others. Um, to make things worse, a couple a month, a couple weeks before the festival, they were short for money. So he came up with what was called a fire wristband, and he got online and they marketed and told everybody the event was going to be cashless and cardless, that you had to pre-fill these wristbands with money, and then you'd get the wristband at the show, and then you could just scan the wristband to pay for stuff. And that never ended up coming to fruition, and it was a whole scheme just to get another $2 million to try to get this going. And the whole time, they're promising this beautiful island, and the festival ended up being in a parking lot north of the Sandals Resort on just an empty peach of ground. So they weren't even on an elaborate beach. They actually tried to <laughs> truck sand in to cover the parking lot, and it didn't. they didn't have enough time to do it. Um, I mean, they tried to build an infrastructure on an island with two months, and it's not going to happen. So all this turns into Billy McFarlane gets six years in prison and is ordered to forfeit over $26 million. There was over $100 million in damages from ticket buyers and investors for the event. Like, that's how much money they blew through, and they still never had the event. Um, There's a total of eight lawsuits and several class action suits filed against him. Now, to make things worse, he gets out on parole, right, pretty quickly, like he gets he gets out of prison pretty quickly. He turns around and most people don't talk about it. He turned around and started a ticketing scheme with a couple buddies where they were they started an, an app and a site where they were fake selling tickets to like Grammys and all these really like the Met Gala and all these exclusive invite only events and they were trying to they pawned off that they were selling tickets to these people to go to these events. And people bought into it and he ended up having another, you know, ten, twenty million dollar lawsuit against him for this shit. Right wow. after, right after he just got out. Do I think they were trying to make fire happen? Yes. But do I think towards the end of it when Billy realized it wasn't gonna come together, he just turned it into a scam? Absolutely. So I could go on and on about this and I could discuss all the lacks of things that they did wrong and all the things that he did and the reasons things didn't work and what he should have done different to make it work and all this and that, but we don't have time in this episode. So maybe, maybe Ryan will find it interesting to have me go back through and really pick fire festival apart and what they did wrong and what they should have done. And, but yeah, taking your experience being a talent buyer and, and seeing the similar steps you had to take to put a festival together. Yeah, it's, and pretty much saying this is what they did wrong. Yeah, so maybe we'll make that an episode in a couple of weeks. We'll see, but so that's that's that's, good. Yeah. that's the mess of scandals I found. I I did some digging this week, man. This is a mess. And the Johnny Cash thing still the. These are all really cringy. Ever. Yeah, I didn't even know. I, I did, honestly didn't even know about that one, and a couple other ones I didn't know about, but. I, I found it really interesting. Don't be a piece, piece of shit like these people. Yeah, that's that's your call to action this week. And I think that we're talking about these things because they're real things that happen, unfortunately. And we have to understand that in the music industry, not everything's going to be perfect and 
you have to pretty much live a realistic life and see both sides of the equation because there's good, there's bad. Uh, there's people that are fake. There's people that are real, just like any other industry, just like any, any situation or any community. Yep. And I agree. So moral of the story this week, don't be a piece of shit. Don't have interactions with underage children and don't be a piece of shit who accuses somebody of something like that when it never happened. So just be, goes back to the other week. Just, you know, on my rant from the first beginning of the last episode, you know, just be, respect each other, treat each other with care, take care of each other. Like, you know, don't, don't be awful. So, but make good financial decisions. <laughs> do not be Billy McFarlane and do not be Ja Rule, who is assuming no responsibility for any of that mess, even though he, Definitely had his fingers in it. So, but we'll dig into that yeah. deeper in another episode. That'll be fun for me. I, I, I'm excited to maybe pick that apart and really give my input on what they should have done and how they should have done things differently. So, but definitely. So, as always, this has been the CNC podcast. Please, wherever you found us, give us a four or five star review, comment on it. Tell me I'm a piece of shit. Say, you know, I like Davey Vanity, and I don't think he's that bad of a guy. And I'm going to tell you, well, you're wrong. And here's 21 reasons why you're wrong. You know, whatever. So thank you guys again for tuning in and listening. You know, share us around. You know, if you have some other scandal you want us to talk about, comment, let us know. And we'll, we'll look into it and figure out who's a piece of shit in the scandal. And we'll make them, we'll make sure that we leave the episode with them being made out to be the piece of shit. So, as always, we're the detectives. We are hmm, like the mystery ink without a dog. <laughs> but we will have Matt. We will have Matthew Lillard. Damn you, new Scoob movie. Who just fired him for no reason without telling him? Bullshit. So, yeah. What What's up with that? I have no idea. That new actor for Shaggy is awful. He doesn't even sound like a Shaggy. So. As always, thank you guys so much. I This has been the St. Anthony Podcast. I'm Drew Zimmerman with my co-host. Hey, guys. apologize for not talking too much in this episode, but this is Drew's episode. All I said is wow, and, you know, I make noises, but, hey, this is Ryan Sharp. <laughs> and we'll see you again next time. <laughs> Take care.